Please turn with me to the scripture. This morning's scripture reading is taken from the book of John, chapter 12, verses 12 to 19. Verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's coat. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified, did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now, Reverend Lenita will bring us to us this morning sermon, Regime Change. Thank you very much, Chan Xiong. Last week, we were reminded by Dr. Chimei that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. It was a very intentional journey, as well as a very intentional stop at Jericho as he brought salvation to the home of Zacchaeus. And so today we moved on as we've been reminded that this is the start of the Holy Week, uh, the journey that Jesus took intentionally to Jerusalem, knowing what will uh, face him there. And so this morning as we look at John chapter 12, this uh, triumphant journey into Jerusalem, let's turn to God in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we're so thankful to you that in the midst of uncertainty and confusion, in the midst of pandemic and wars and difficulties and suffering all around us, we're able to have this moment of stillness coming before you. Whether we are at home or here in the sanctuary, we give thanks to you for this time of worship together as we sing praises to you, as we hear your word being read, as we proclaim and declare our faith, and as we offer up our prayers to you. And now, God, as we turn to your word, we pray that you will be with all of us, both the speaker and the listener, that, Father, once again, we will see you at work. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so as we turn to John chapter 12, I've entitled my sermon, Regime Change. We look at what we all know very well, that the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem and the people laying down their clothes and waving palm branches. And so that's why we uh, call today Palm Sunday. Now, interestingly, as I've always said to you, whenever there is an incident in the gospel, you try to find it whether it is only recorded in one gospel and why, you need to ask, or it is found in two or three or four. Now, this is one incident that is found in all four 
Gospels. All right, I'll give you the reference in a short while. And so the first thing that we want to, the first point that I want to make as we look at John chapter 12 is the rightful king. As Jesus rode into Jerusalem, everybody, the Jews, were hoping for a regime change. They knew and they wanted and had, they had hope for years and years. And they had been praying that a new king would come. A king of God's choice will come. And so the text that was read for us just now, that when they said, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And so that was the shout of the people of um, in Jerusalem at that time. Now we know that although they were under the Roman rule, they had high priests. They were still able to practice their religion. They had a temple. All right. So even though they do not have a king of their own, like King David and King Solomon, they had a temple and they had high priests. Now in the law of Moses, we know that only the, uh, the, the descendants in the tribe of Levi are allowed to be priests. And then the high priest must come from the family of Aaron. So that is, you know, in, in, in the law of God. But here, by the time when Jesus came into Jerusalem, we read of this in John 18. It says that, okay, the detachment of soldiers arrested Jesus and then brought him first to Annas. Who is he? He's the father-in-law of Caiaphas. Who is Caiaphas? The high priest that year. And so you see, Annas was the high priest before. And then when he passed it on, he should have passed it on to his son that is within the family. So right away, you know that there's something that is not quite right going on already within the religious circle of that time. And then, of course, the other thing that we know of, now King Solomon was the one who built the temple, remember, in the Old Testament. And then it was destroyed okay, during the Babylonian uh, siege, and, and so it was totally destroyed. And then in the Old Testament, we read about Ezra and Nehemiah bringing people back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, lay the foundation of the temple, and then build a temple. And we also know that the temple that they built was nothing compared to the one that King Solomon built. But in about 10 to 20 years before Jesus was born, King Herod repaired and rebuilt the temple. And so now this is only a model, all right? And so the second temple, what we call the second temple, is often known as Herod's temple, all right? It was, it was nice and built and big and so on. But if you notice, I've drawn a circle there. On the eastern wall of this temple structure, there's something attached to it. What is it? It's a fortress. It's a fortress for Roman soldiers. It is called Antonio Fortress. Why would you build a fortress next to a place of worship? In this fortress, at any given time, there are about 600 soldiers on duty. 
Now, if you notice, uh, you can go and Google Second Temple and then you will see Antonio Fortress. The four columns are 14 story high. And so when soldiers are on duty inside, what do you think they'll be looking at? Of course, they'll be looking down into the temple grounds. Why? Why would you want to look at people worshipping? Because the Roman soldiers and King Herod knew the word of the Lord, the prophecy, is that when the rightful king of Israel comes, it will come during the season of Passover, and he would be a religious person, and so the first place that he would be would be at the temple. And so if a revolt or a rebellion or a regime change is to happen, it would start right here. And so the soldiers were there to ensure that King Herod will be or would be the rightful king. And no one is supposed to take that away from him. And so for the Roman soldiers, the rightful king was King Herod. And they had to protect his position by all means. But for the Jews, even though they knew that King Herod was the king, for them, in their heart of hearts, King Herod was not the rightful king. They were looking forward to their own king. And so when they saw Jesus riding in, the crowds then have to shout out and rejoice and celebrate, here is our king. Imagine yourself there at that day. What would be in your heart? You too would be looking forward to a regime change. Enough of the Roman soldiers, enough of the Roman rule. We have our own king. In the uh, in the prophecy of Zechariah, Zechariah wrote, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, shout, daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious. And so with that prophecy, with that knowledge, everybody was looking for a regime change. And like I said, for many of us, we would also be looking for a regime change. Here in Malaysia, we have a rightful king, don't we? All of us know who he is. Of course, sometimes there's a tussle and so on. But Malaysia also has a rightful king. And if you would remember, in 2013, during the GE13, how many of us were praying for regime change? How many of us were thinking that our Messiah would be the rocket. That didn't happen, did it? And then when it came to 2018, we didn't expect a regime change, but it happened. And then since then, there have been so many regime changes that we have begun to realize that our king is not in the political realm. And so today, as we remember Palm Sunday, on the first time, the first time, it wasn't a Sunday, 
But the first time when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, when the occasion was celebrating his triumphant entry, there was supposed to be a regime change. It didn't happen. What about you and I today? On this Palm Sunday, when we think about regime change, who is your king? Who is the rightful king? At that time, the rightful king was King Herod. The rightful king in the hearts of the Jewish people was God's choice. You and I today, as we sit here, we all have our kings. I would use the word plural, kings. In our lives, in our church, in our ministry. And we all have our expectation of what our king or kings would do for us. But friends, as we think of that first entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, the first occasion, at the end of the parade, at the end of the celebration, the people were disappointed because the rightful king didn't do what they had hoped for him to do. What about for us? As we look back on our lives, our kings, the rightful king in our lives, has he been a disappointment? Have we been disappointed as well? And then as we moved on to the text, the second point that I want to make is the misunderstood king. All right? And so in verse 16, we are told that even the disciples who had been with him did not understand what he was doing. Throughout his time on earth, Jesus had taught them, Jesus had showed them, and yet they did not understand. And so he's a misunderstood king. Now, it's very interesting, as I said, that this incident was recorded in the four Gospels. But in three of the Gospels only, it talks about when Jesus entered Jerusalem, he went to the temple. John didn't say it. Okay, so you can find it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That when he went in, after that, he went straight to the temple. And of course, we know the incident, the cleansing of the temple. That Jesus overturned the tables of the money changer and chased away the animals. The law of Moses requires that every Jewish man, when they come to the temple, they're supposed to bring one shekel of silver as an offering. Now, in the time of uh, David and Solomon, in the uh, time of the nation of Israel, there's no issue. But then under the Romans and the Greek rule, all the coins would have the image of the emperor. And so that's why you cannot use that, because there is an image of a human person. right? God's law is you shall not make any image. And so... They couldn't use those coins. The money changer within the temple grounds is doing essential services. We're very familiar with the term essential service. They were not doing something illegal. They were providing help for the worshippers. That when they come with all kinds of currency, they could change their money. And then, of course... God requires the worshipper to bring animals for worship. 
Can you imagine bringing a cow or a goat or a lamb or even birds and traveling long distance? Wouldn't it be easier to just buy on the spot? And so again, the people there selling animals, again, is an essential service. And so it's for the convenience and, and it helps and aids in the temple worship. There are many things in our church today that we would see as essential services, essential ministry, that we would want it to be part of the uh, 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 worship. There's nothing wrong with it. And so why did Jesus chase them away? Some people were saying that because it had become like a marketplace, a lot of noise and so on, and of course the droppings from the animals were dirty and unhygienic and unclean, and so Jesus was upset, and so Jesus chased them away. But if you look at Matthew, or in, in the other Gospels as well, what did Jesus say? Jesus said that, you know, it was written uh, that my house would be called a house of prayer, and you have made it into a den of robbers. Okay, this quotation is taken from Isaiah 56. Okay, so when we read the house of prayer, yeah, okay, because we're supposed to be praying, supposed to be quiet, meditative, and so it's too noisy, and so Jesus chased them away. But if you go back to look at Isaiah 55, in Isaiah 55, Jesus, uh, God began to call people to come and worship. And the climax is in Isaiah 56, because in Isaiah 56, when, Jesus, when God says, come and worship, he says to the eunuchs who kept my Sabbath, who chose, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name. According to the law of Moses, anyone with defects cannot come into the presence of God. But here in Isaiah, God says, doesn't matter. Even if you are eunuchs, come. You are welcome. You are accepted. And what would blow the mind of the people would be, God continues to say, and foreignness. Gentiles, non-Jew, who bind themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, to be his servant who keep the Sabbath, these I will also bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. And so you have it here, dear brothers and sisters, foreigners, people who are outcasts, who are rejected. God is saying, come. You have a place in my house. And then their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. And my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Now, I've often thought that this phrase means that when we are here in God's house, we pray for all the nations. But what it meant is that all nations can come and pray at the temple. Every single person, regardless of the race and nationality, regardless of the physical perfectness or defect, all are welcome into 
the house of God. And so here you have it. The people who were doing the business were doing their business in the court of the Gentiles. And so with the business happening there, where can the Gentiles go for prayers and for worship? They were being chased away. They were not allowed or not given the space to come. And so dear brothers and sisters, on this Palm Sunday, as we reflect on what happened that first Palm Sunday, the Father's temple is supposed to be available and accessible to the outcasts, to the foreigners, to the Gentiles. What about us today? Jesus has been misunderstood over and over again. He was criticized, right, for disrupting Temple worship, essential services, needed, convenience, helpful. But he turned them away, he chased them away. He was labelled a troublemaker, wanting to take over the kingdom from the Romans. That was never his intention. And then he's called a blasphemer because he claimed to be God. In our world today, Jesus is still misunderstood, isn't it? For many of us today, most of us here are Chinese. For many of us within our family circle, we have been accused of following the foreign religion. The Chinese religion is not Christianity. And I think especially in the past two weeks or so during the Qingming Festival, Christians, we do not burn paper money. We do not offer food to our ancestors. Have we been labelled as not filial? Have we been labelled as following the foreign religion? And so even our faith today still is misunderstood. And so you have the misunderstood king. And finally, you have the rejected king. Here from verse 17 onwards, we read that the crowd followed him because of what he had done for Lazarus and because of what they have heard that he had done all the miraculous things. They went out to meet him. And then the Pharisee says, no. See, the whole world has gone after him and we cannot allow it. And of course, for many of us, we would know the story of what happened. The Pharisees sought a traitor and they found one. And then when he was arrested, they quickly, in the middle of the night, held a session in the house of the high priest, which is highly, highly unusual. Why? Just so that they could quickly judge him as a blasphemer, and so he could be punished. And so here, could you help me? Okay, all right. Here, as we begin this Holy Week, my encouragement to all of you is to go back and read the four Gospels of the time when Jesus entered into Jerusalem until his crucifixion.
on your own, read through and reflect. And then you'll be able to see how things were done, quickly done, just so that he could be crucified. God's will was done despite human fallenness. And then, of course, as uh, Reverend Ting has announced earlier, that via the Lorosa, we are trying to do something like that here in FMC for Holy Week this year. All right? And so it will be open from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. Now, in, in, in Jerusalem, those of you who have been there, Via Dolorosa has 14 stations. But many of them are not biblically based. A lot of them are based on traditions of the Roman Catholic Church. And so we do not have 14 stations. So those of you who come, there's only eight stations. Okay, starting in one age and then coming to the century. And so we want to encourage you at your own time. Any time during the day, 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. from Monday to Saturday. Come and spend time at each station. Read the passages that is given or, you know, bring your own uh, digital or, or hard copy of the Bible. And spend time reflecting. And then you would see that sadly how Jesus was rejected. Now, this rejection of Jesus here is not something new. In, in John chapter 19, verse 15, when Pilate says, I found nothing wrong with this person. And so then when he said, take him away, crucify him, Pilate said, you want me to crucify your king? And if you read what John wrote, it is so sad. It's the chief priest who says we have no king except Caesar. This is not the first time that the Jewish people rejected their rightful king. In First Samuel, when the people at that time were asking for a king like all the nations around them, Samuel was very upset. But then God told Samuel, listen to what the people are saying, it is not you they have rejected. It is me they have rejected as their king. Can you feel the rejection that God went through that time? It is me they have rejected as their king. And so then here you have in the Gospel of John recorded that the chief priest is saying we have no other king except Caesar. And so my dear friends, Palm Sunday reminds us of the rightful king that was rejected. Reminds us of those who misunderstood him and those who rejected him. And so the question that we need to reflect today, the regime change of that day failed. What about today? Who is your king? Who is our king? I know many of you would say, yeah, Christ is my king, because I've accepted him as my Lord and Saviour. True. Think back. 
of the time when you made a commitment to accept Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. He was king. But what about now? Over the years, when things have crept into our lives, when our priority changes, when things are different, is he still the king? I've often used the illustration of a car instead. Right, Those of you who have heard me say this before, that I drive my own car. I am the owner of my car. I decide where my car goes. But when God came into my life, initially, maybe I'm still driving. But gradually, gradually, whether, whether he moved from the back seat to the passenger seat, and if you allow him to take over the control of your car, then God is in the driver's seat, right? And he takes you where he wants to take you. It's not easy. But for some of us, we have gradually allowed him to be in the driver's seat. Recently, I was talking to a dear sister in Christ. She's going through a very tough time. And so she said, Pastor, I can't feel God. I can't see God. God is not here with me. And then I asked, I said, okay, the illustration of a car. Where is God in your car? Driver? Passenger? Next to you? Or at the back? And she thought for a moment and she said, I don't think God is even in my car. It's so sad, isn't it? And then after a while, she said, actually, I think he's in the boot of my car. I was heartbroken. And I said, will you please let him out? Get him back into your car. And so on this Palm Sunday, the first regime change failed. My prayer is that today, for this Palm Sunday of 2022, for those of us who need the regime change, let's do it. Today, in our lives, who is the rightful king? And even in our church, who is the rightful king? And so for those of us who feel that, or who knows that a regime change is necessary, can I invite you to do so? Alex and team led us in the worship of opening up our hearts and our lives, the gates of our hearts, the gates of our lives, for him to come in. And so will you now close your eyes, bow your head, and each one of us come before the Lord, telling him if you need a regime change, invite him to come in again. Let us pray. Friends, whether you're at home or here in the sanctuary, if you want to make that regime change today, can I invite you to stand? 
This is between you and God. And with all our eyes closed and heads bowed, let us stand to make that commitment, that invitation to ask God to help us in the change of the regime. Father, we want to give thanks to you, God, for your sovereignty, for your power, for your might, and most of all, for your love. That time and time again, God, you remind us of your love for us. Today, as we come before you, and especially for my brothers and sisters who are standing before you, who want to tell you, God, we want a change in our lives, in the rule of our lives today. Will you come and help us? We pray for this coming week as we spend time reflecting again, Lord Jesus, of what you did for us on the cross. I pray that you will help all of us to realize how much you love us and show us how we can love you back. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.